As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined, as always, by Bruce Feldman for a Monday morning edition here on the West Coast. Bruce, right before we came on, maybe an hour before we came on, um, California high schools announcing that all fall sports are postponed until at least December, and they already have the dates, apparently, of the football playoff, which will be in April. Um, Just another in a long line recently of whether it's been junior colleges, FCS conferences, um, high schools are going ahead and, and punting football to the spring. Uh, but of course, we all eagerly await what the what FBS is going to do. So why don't we just kind of start out by uh, taking the pulse of things. What's your expectation of when we're going to start to get some clarity? It's a good question. And I think it varies on who you, who you hear from last. Um, one thing I would keep an eye on is when the NCA Board of Governors gets together at the end of this week, uh, is there any decision made, or is there movement made on would they cancel other fall championships, which should obviously not be college football as it relates to FBS, because as we know, that's not run by the NCA. But if other sports are shut down in that regard, there's some people I've talked to in the Power Five who think that would be a big step and it would be hard for uh, some Power Five leagues and, and a lot of FBS to say, hey, we're going to press on even if the, the NCAA is, is shutting down championships in other sports. So keep an eye on that at the end of this week if it comes, you know, if it comes to that, if the Board of Governors go in that direction, I would say that. And then one of the things that at least I've heard a decent amount more is how teams are going to try to try to manage practice or at least manage walkthroughs as they ramp up a little bit to more of a football element of their preparation. Right now it's just working out in small groups, but yeah, I've talked to some, some coaches who have talked about like, will they do, okay, we're going to do our walkthroughs with first and third team. And then a completely separate group is second and fourth teams. So they can try to manage just in case there is a big spread. But I think some of the stuff that I've heard from coaches is, hey, what's going to be when we have more of our student body back? And at some point, it's like, even if, and we've seen a lot of examples of this, of, of teams that have very low numbers of positive tests that, uh, you know, let's see what happens. If we're, if we're going to try, what's going to be, we're going to find out when, if and when it comes to, doing some more football stuff where the team is more together because what what you've heard a lot of is for at least what I've heard a lot of from talking to coaches is we're not as worried about what happens with our players when they're in the facility it's really what happens when they are they're away from it so I think those are things that you know in the next two weeks we'll we'll see if it gets down the road like that and it's this Friday by the way that in the um you know, the process that the NCAA approved a few mm-hmm. weeks ago, this Friday is when they can move to the next phase and begin, I think it's 20 hours a week, 
Um, and it includes those team walkthroughs, which that's a, that's a big step. I mean, NFL hasn't done that yet. They haven't even opened training camp. So, right, so that's like 30. And I also don't know that every. That's like, in a lot of cases, too, that would be like 30 players. And if you're talking about like your first team offense, as well as then your third team offense, you know, in there doing the, these walkthroughs as opposed to 10 person groups. And obviously some of this is going to depend on which state you're in as well as, as how much flexibility you're afforded. Yeah, that's right. Some, I mean, not everybody's even going to be allowed to do that. The Pac-12, for one, when they announced the conference-only schedule, put up put a you know pause on all team-related activities that has not yet been lifted. But uh, end of July is what we kept hearing. Greg Sankey, uh, you know, at pretty much every conference, we want to. Last week of July will be a big kind of decision point, and that's for for many reasons. But one of them is that full-fledged training camp is supposed to begin the first weekend in August. So. Um, now, what are they going to announce, come out and announce? I think that that, first of all, like you said, that that decision about FCS in particular, as many F- I don't know the exact number now, but many FCS conferences have come out and said they're they're postponing till spring. So at some point, they're going to have to make a decision on the playoff FCS playoffs. Um, you know, I could I could see any number of scenarios. I could see it varying by conference, but the, I guess the question is, if people are expecting them to come out and say what all these others have said we're canceling fall season you know i think that the sec and others are going to drag this out they're not going to do that they're not going to come out and say that just yet they might say we're not going to open training camp on time which means the season will be delayed uh and put it on hold until hopefully virus numbers start going down or they could go ahead and open with training camp but acknowledging that they might have to delay the start of the season um, what I really hope doesn't happen, but could definitely happen, is that like the the Big Ten and Pac-12 say we're canceling fall. You know, go ahead and say we're canceling fall season, and then the other three Power Fives don't, and now it becomes this really messy situation where some of the conferences that compete for the CFP aren't going to be in the mix for the CFP, at least if it stays in place for now. And then um, I, don't know, I just. It, this is the one time when the Power Five really, really needs to act in unison, and I just don't have the confidence that they're going to. Do you, you see a scenario, and I think, look, I, I feel like almost everything is on the table at this point, and we don't know how this is going to play out, but from, from, from the story I did on Thursday for The Athletic about talking to coaches who, what they think about what would happen vis-a-vis a spring league, and I think these are stories that we can, spring season, we can talk about this more because you and I have both written independently on it. Um, was hey, what happens if we get we play five, we can only play five games in the fall and then come back and finish the season in the spring? Which to me sound like I'm thinking, well, you probably wouldn't have the same team at that point in the second semester, and who knows what it looks like. But maybe that's the reality. Is like you know, I talked to some coaches who also had the had the idea of. Look, if if it's only in a spring season, we have a bunch of players who I could see them saying, "All right, I proved what I needed to prove to the NFL scouts. I'm shutting it down after three games or something like that." I mean, are do you? What do you think of that possibility? I'm not saying it's a suggestion. I'm just saying if it comes to that, because I, I feel like the normalcy, and I've had this come up when I've done some radio interviews and different things where. People ask, like, what's the CFP committee going to think or whatever? And I'm like, we're so in such uncharted waters on some of this. I can't imagine how it's going to play out if you go down that road. So are you saying they are suggesting that they should ahead of time? No, no. It would be like, that's what this particular coach thought it, it could be. Not that it would be planned, but it was like, hey, we can only do like four or five games. We're going to have to resume the season. That way you'd have a shortened season in the in the spring and you'd end up only having four or five games in the fall because that's all that, you know, again, that this coach thought it might, might be able to be played over the stretch. I mean, I think anything is possible at this point. I guess I'm not with that. I'm not sure what they think is going to happen four or five, like how it would be okay to play up until that point. And then what's going to happen four or five games in what's the event that's going to happen? Is it going to be a, a, big a vaccine? Second I don't wave know. Surge? Oh, yeah. that, that pauses it. I don't know if it was just yeah. like, Hey, there's, there's too many. Uh, there's there's too many cases. We can't we can't uh, sustain this. Um, yeah, something along the lines I of mean, that. 
Yeah, any anything like that. I mean, we had an interesting uh, roundtable on our site on Monday of several, I think it was six of our writers kind of debating this whole thing about whether they should just <clears throat> push it to spring or keep playing and some good, like, contrasting opinions. Seth Emerson, our Georgia writer, you know, he thinks they should just keep, just keep um, delaying it over and over until you can't delay it anymore, right? So, oh, now we think it's going to start October 1st. Well, we can't do that yet, so now we think it's going to start November 1st. And then it could kind of just naturally end up being played in the spring, but you don't necessarily come out and announce that right now. And then Matt Fortuna, one of our writers, I thought made an interesting counterpoint to that, which is, I don't know that you can expect to keep the players fully engaged with all these stop and starts, right? You know, you tell them that this is the, you know, this is the date the season's going to kick off. Let's go out there and have a great training camp and get ready. But if they're in this constant holding pattern, I mean, at some point they're going to, they might start to stop being so rigid or stop being so careful about social distancing, or they might let their conditioning slip or, or to what you said, like some guys might just say, that's it. I've had enough. Like, I'm just going to punt on this and get ready for the draft. But I do think that to that last point, and I know you talked to 20 coaches and, and a lot of it was about, hey, if they pick, played in the spring, how many guys do you think would turn pro? I actually thought the coaches were probably, most of the coaches you talked to were undershooting mm-hmm. it. Um, I think if you play a spring season, you just have to assume that most of your draft eligible players won't be there. I don't think, because I, I don't think like even in the semantics part of that, cause I had that with one of the coaches who was in the, I think we'll lose eight players. And then he kind of went through, but when you say draft eligible, I don't think you realize how many guys are draft eligible. Well, that's, that's everybody who's who, three years out of high school. That's a huge chunk of your roster. Most of those guys, even at Alabama, many of those guys won't play a snap in the NFL. Yeah, let me let me rephrase that. Um, and I'm glad you said I'm glad you realistic... said that because I think that's how a lot of people come out. I'm not saying they're coming out half cocked, but I do think that this 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 point kind of gets muddled where people are like, oh yeah, half the team is gonna. It was like I because I went. No, 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 no. I I would say guys with realistic chances of being drafted. Now we could you could debate what realistic means, but I think the coaches and the coach some of the coaches you quoted in that article. We're just a, we're going on the assumption that guys would have would go on their own like <laughs> would go on realistic assessments of where they're going. They're like, oh, I'm I'm not expected to be a first round pick, or I'm not expected to be a first, so I have to play. But I, I don't know. I, I could see it. I mean, think about if you're a guy who has aspirations of getting drafted at any point, whatever round, you might be really nervous about playing a playing a game in February, tearing your ACL and being out for your whole rookie NFL season. And then, oh, they might not draft me if they know they can't use me the first year. So I don't know. I think guys are going to tread toward cautious, don't you? I think some will. I think it's probably more than what some coaches thought, or at least some of the coaches I talked to. But again, if you're, if, if you're a guy who's not even expected to be drafted at this point based on your film of what you have... How do you how do you how do you think you that's going to work? Play. You have to play. I mean, there are a bunch of teams that have no guys who are projected as top one hundred picks. If you're projected as a fifth or sixth round pick, how do you sit that out? If you really think you can, you know, better that. Well, it's going to vary from school to school. You know, you could see a dozen Alabama players. You could you could see that for out. Ohio State, and you could see it for Clemson. Yeah. I don't think you're going to see it for most of the most of the teams. I don't. I think you'll you you will see zero or one for a bunch of those other of other programs, just because a lot of teams, by and large, um, look around the Big Twelve. I mean, you see the draft numbers every year, and that's when they've played a season going in again. I use that LSU uh, example. Five first-round picks this past year. Not one of them would have been a first-round pick without 2019. And two of them, Clyde and Patrick Queen, wouldn't have gotten drafted at all without it. So now are those the exceptions? Yeah, but that's still the national championship team. So again, I I think it's probably more than what those coaches think, but I don't think it's – you know, anywhere near what some people are speculating because they think agents are going to be in their head and they're just going to run for money and then get really disappointed. Well, whatever the numbers are, whatever it ends up being, to me that the NFL um, guys 
or the, the idea of guys sitting out is not a reason to that would not be the deciding factor to me of whether you do or don't play in the spring. It would actually be pretty far down the list. Um, I think that, so on Monday I put up my, uh, my latest attempt at a model for what a winter slash spring season would look like. What's kind of bizarre to me is that unless they're totally lying to us, it, I don't think any of the conferences have come up with a formal model for that. They're, they're still entirely focused on the fall and they haven't come up with the contingency plan yet. I don't know how many times I've seen the quote, last resort, it's a last resort. And it's like, guys, I think we're kind of on the brink of the last resort at this point. Um, but, you know, I accounted for, I, I, you know, I think, so I have my season kicking off. It's tough. It's tough to like fit everything into a window if you're like, well, we want it to end around the, you know, before. ideally you'd want it to end before the NFL draft, which is usually the last weekend, of, well, last week of April. Now, maybe if it comes to this, they would actually do the right thing and postpone it but I don't yeah and this is this that. is actually something in this one of the stories I wrote this weekend for the athletic is and maybe we'll get to this in a minute but Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks who work for the NFL network and are former NFL scouts they think the NFL would be flexible to move the draft and could move the draft back two months and I've talked to uh, people who work have worked in the NFL who think that would wouldn't be a big issue for them even a month would really help to buying some time because you know i don't think realistically you can start the season any earlier than early february uh because you know you got to play it backwards and when would training camp start um probably no earlier than around january 1st um i talked to some tv people hey when would be the ideal and they said well it's gotta you gotta wait till at least after the um conference championships because I mean, the, the up up until that round, the NFL plays on Saturdays, first of all. And then, I don't know, there's just so much attention on the NFL at that moment. Now, could you start it the week in between the conference championships and the Super Bowl? Or I ended up going with the Saturday of Super Bowl weekend, maybe marketing it as like this is, you know, the biggest football weekend there's ever been. And then, okay, how many games can you fit in? Um, I went with nine, but even then it's the nine includes the conference championship. So if you, so each league would basically have to decide, are you going to play eight in a conference championship? Or are you going to, you know, not have your conference championship game and just play nine, which the big 12 could, you know, did up until a couple of years ago, play a, a nine game. Can I, uh, can I jump in for a second? What mm-hmm. would be the minimum amount of games where you think they could have a quote unquote season and then try to determine a national champion? Like where it would be legitimate. Yeah. I mean, can you, you can't really do that with a six game season. I don't think. I don't think so. I, I if that point it's like an exhibition season, and some might say eight's not enough or nine's not enough. But I just realistically, I mean, first of all, for the people who are, and it's a legit concern about having guys squeeze two seasons into a calendar year. You, know, you can't play a, you know, whoever ends up winning the national championship, they can't play fifteen games in, uh, you know, February through April or early May, and then turn around and play fifteen more from. Uh, Labor Day through the next playoff. So, you know, for if, if for no other reason than that, I think it's got to be a shorter schedule. And I think eight or nine is about the max. And then even then, if the for you know you're talking about eleven or twelve for a for a playoff team. So now it could be that um, that bowls that most of the bowls just go away. Uh, bowls wouldn't like that, but um, or it could be that maybe we have to eliminate a round of the playoffs and just go straight to the national championship game, like we used to in the BCS. I don't know, but, um, you know, I, I do think that it's doable. It's more doable than some of the skeptics, uh, who think like it would just be impossible on guys' bodies. Um, they do do spring football now. I know that's not the same as playing eight or nine games in a row, but you know, they do have contact in the spring. Um, you would just need to make sure that there's enough of a cushion between spring and fall. And in fact, in my plan, it would, um, you would delay the start of the 2021 season by two weeks just to buy some extra time there. That would be closer to, that would be the same window. If you, if just delayed it two weeks, because my championship game is on May 3rd, it would be the same amount of time now that there usually is between the spring game and the start of the season. Do you foresee, because I looked at it, I thought there was like an 11 day window you had for bowl games. I, I, the, of all that, the bowl games to me seemed like it was the most. Not dubious, but the most, I don't know how this is going to work kind of thing. And you were talking about shoehorning it where all of a sudden you're having 
uh, CBS Sports Network and FS1 taking on other bowl games because ESPN just couldn't juggle all of that with its other sports inventory That's on right. top of that. And I don't know, you know, if you talk to people who said, oh, yeah, they're going to do that. And that's already something they kind of wrap their heads around. But the, the Bulls, to me, is one I, 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 I struggle with. I also wondered if you're starting in February 1st or so, because I, I think eight games, there's been years long time ago where you've had eight game seasons in college football. And it may may come to that. It's just the the part of that is the bowls, which are truly just exhibitions anyway. I think that's probably what you what you're resorted to. And I don't know. Back to the podcast in a second, but first a word about DraftKings. Grab your peanuts and popcorn. Baseball is back. That's right. The boys will be getting back out on the diamond this week. And while we may not be able to join them at the park. There is plenty of action to be had from the comfort of your home. DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is putting you on the field with a shot to play risk-free for a shot at hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy baseball is easy to play. Just pick 10 players, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for hits, runs, strikeouts, and more. There's no better way to put your baseball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at hundreds of thousands of dollars. But if baseball isn't for you, don't worry. DraftKings is offering plenty of fancy golf action for this weekend's tournament. And with millions of dollars up for grabs this week, there's no better place to have skin in the game than with DraftKings. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code RUN to get a free shot at a share of the millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's promo code RUN to get a free shot at a share of millions of dollars with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. I think realistically, a lot of them would go would just not be played right because you'd have some three and it's five different three, when it's if it's eight games, you might have some three and five teams in them. Yeah, and also just timing. I mean, bowls are played around the holidays for a reason. There's not much going on, and ESPN's desperate for TV programming. If you're talking late April, when the NBA playoffs are starting up, and the NHL playoffs, and Major League Baseball is going on. Like ESPN's just flat out not going to have room to show 42 bowl games. They might not have room to show 15 bowl games. So, and a lot of those bowls don't make money. You know so, who could show them? You know, I don't think you would cancel the Rose Bowl, but you might cancel the uh, the Bahamas Bowl. You know who could show some, some of those, those games? The NFL Network. FS1. NFL Network. Yeah, that's and true. And this is so I'm going to segue a little bit into my story over the weekend, if it's okay. But yeah, let's do so it. So this this story I did on Saturday, and it's really it's not just a spring season. It's about a shift to the spring for, and this started out as for FCS because that's where the idea came from. It came from an FCS coach I know who thought we have to do something different, and this would give us more of a spotlight. And football has tried to make a run of it in the spring, and there's been some traction on ratings, but for whatever reason, the leagues have imploded on their own. And so that would happen. Well, I was doing the Move the Sticks podcast with uh, Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks, and they started talking a little bit about the NCAA model as well as some other things. And we started kicking this idea around. Now, Daniel and Bucky incorporated Group of Five in there, and which was one that I wasn't initially thinking of because that's not where my FCS guy was talking about it. But thinking like, okay, they would have much more of a stage than they have now. And they are clearly getting marginalized even further, especially if you look at what's happening with the Mac and as it related to the Big Ten's announcement. And it's become every conference for itself in this kind of dog-eat-dog world. And, this, and the haves and the have-nots gap keeps widening. So when we talked, when I broached the idea of like, well, how for one of the sticking points is that the FCS coach had brought up was the draft process is tough for us because you're just running right into it. And I said, well, if there was a way to get the NFL to give you maybe six months, I mean, six weeks or two months, even a month pushback, so you, there is a little changes of the calendar. And so when I broached that with the with uh, the NFL Network guys, one of the things that I had suggested was, look, you guys already show some group of five football. They had Conference USA games last year. The network is always like the NFL loves to extend its, you know, to a year long, year long calendar. 
And as Bucky said, they're always looking for program in the off season. If they said, "Hey, they're gonna they're gonna be partners with this version," whether it's if we just call it Division One football and, and Group of Five or Power Five is just Power Five, and it's almost like a super league, or as it were, in the fall, then all of a sudden maybe they would be more manageable towards that. And as as Daniel said, the ratings would be really strong. He thought because a lot of people would watch the you know, Houston, East Carolina game, which they wouldn't, which would get lost on a typical Saturday afternoon in the fall with these other big games. So that idea, I ended up writing about it on Saturday. It seemed to have gotten, it it got a lot of eyeballs at the very least. I don't want to say it got a lot of traction, but so tell me what you think of it. I'm not as, uh, I'm, I'm more skeptical, I would say. Um, but also, first, let me just say that, look, th- this pandemic is really um, shining a light on just how much these group of five schools, how perilous it is for a lot of these group of five schools. They're, they're just, they were struggling to begin with. And, and this is, you know, now they're getting guarantee games canceled and uh, schools might not be able to afford to subsidize them anymore. And so, uh, you know, you're seeing already some huge cuts, especially in the MAC. But just how, like, in the Power Five, like, not all Power Fives are created equal and, you know, Ohio State's finances are radically different than Washington State's. You know, when you say Group of Five, like, this might make sense for the MAC, for Conference USA, maybe the Sun Belt. But the American, which likes to call itself the Power Six, I think that would be uh, what you're losing. The single biggest thing you're losing is the, is the opportunity for, you know, U, uh, Houston to go play Oklahoma and upset them or UCF. Uh, to beat Auburn in a bowl game. And I think that if you take that away from those fans, they're just going to totally lose interest. Well, like, why would they be invested in a in a season where they only play other group of five schools? Because um, they'd have an that. actual cha- chance at a national championship, though. And I think there's a couple of schools, and maybe UCF is one, maybe Boise is one, uh, maybe Houston is one, because we know what their leadership with their big booster and president want maybe this would be an impetus for a little bit of realignment where they're saying hey we're going to go in that direction they're going to latch on to the big 12 or they're going to latch on to somebody else because they have the resources to make it happen but for the rest of them they don't have any chance of of uh of having a real shot at winning a national title so again i if you take out boise ucf maybe one or two other schools I think I think that's more plausible. But again, when you're starting to talk, and, and look, this is all hypothetical, but I made this point to you and I made it to a few other people. First of all, the, the only chance the MAC gets any exposure right now is they when they're forced to play on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. And one thing when you talk, and this is not a decision that all football coaches are certainly going to make, but when you talk about frustration, I remember having this conversation, maybe the first time I ever met with Matt Wells when he was back at Utah State, was about they would love to play on Saturday afternoons, not all these random days of the week at these random times. You'd have a better chance of doing that when you're not trying to shoehorn your games around the quote-unquote bigger bigger branded programs. And so the example I gave to you when we talk, uh, uh, over the weekend when we talked about this offline, you were talking about Central Michigan against Ball State, is like, more people are going to watch a football game. They're certainly going to gamble on a football game more than they will certainly a baseball game. But if you look at the XFL ratings last week, and I went to just the middle of the season game, it wasn't like the first week or the second week. Week five, there was an XFL game on FS1 that got about 800,000 viewers. That is a big number relative towards the rest of college football. That's probably... I don't know, ten, it's probably 20 times more than what a Mac game would get on a fall Saturday normally. So, And then I had somebody else say, well, yeah, AAC games get can do better than that. The AAC, AAC game that did great ratings last year that was on a Saturday was, uh, was an SMU game, Memphis game, because it was on the ABC primetime stage because there was nothing else that they could run into that window. Typically, those games do not do anywhere near that. So now... What would the networks and or the NFL network pay for this package? I have no idea because we're right now in a pandemic. But that stage is not insignificant to them. Uh, and it's something that I, after 
you know, I did the, their podcast and started kind of uh, workshopping the idea a little more. I talked to some some uh, group of five coaches to see what they thought and was surprised they were they were very intrigued by the idea as well. Now these were not these were honestly the coaches I talked to in group of five were not coaches at Boise or or UCF, but they were by and large the coaches at the typical uh, group of five programs. Yeah, I mean, so I after you said just as you were talking, I looked up some ratings from last year and. That six hundred thousand number you gave would be about double uh, what a typical Tuesday or Wednesday night matching game gets on ESPN. And that's when it's by itself. That is when it's by itself, and there's nothing else on. Now imagine you're going to throw me a NIU Toledo game, and it's on opposite Ohio State or Penn State game. Not to mention four, you know, an SEC game on CBS. You're not getting regular football fans. The only people who are watching those games are either people who are gambling on the game or people who have a direct tie to that game. They're not just diehard football fans. It would certainly be interesting if to see what the we have no idea like what the demand would be. You know, we know that live programming is very important to networks, uh, but like the Conference USA, after they lost all the schools that they did, like they make almost nothing in TV revenue um, because nobody's watching the games on Stadium or wherever yeah. they're. You know, whatever their platform. Yeah, they're getting is. shoved to streaming only services, right? So, um, so it might, it may, from a financial standpoint, it may actually make more sense for them to to do this, to have a chance to play for a legit playoff. Uh, I do think more schools than you're saying would, you know, it's more than just UCF and I think Cincinnati. Look, Appalachian State. Here's a good example, right? Appalachian State was an FCS powerhouse, and. If, if, if all that really matters is winning a national championship, they should have just stayed there and kept playing for them. But they decided as a school they would rather be in the Sun Belt and where, you know, your big reward for winning the Sun Belt is to play in the New Orleans Bowl. But more prestige, more exposure. Uh, certainly FCS doesn't get on TV. So Well, it's not. Um, I mean, it's more exposure for them. Now, it wouldn't be more exposure this way, though. Right. So, so the so the question is, who, how does Appalachian State get more exposure? I I would argue that they get more exposure playing on those few occasions they get to play a Power Five school on ESPN. But they um, do it because yeah. when they played Tennessee, it was a couple of years ago. It's probably three years ago, and I want to say it might have been on a Thursday night. They got a lot of exposure. Mm-hmm. They performed really well, but it was also on a like. Certainly, they got it the first when they upset Michigan on the first day of the Big Ten Network. But when they almost beat Penn State a couple years ago in the season. Yeah, I think it's I I think there is something I don't want to completely dismiss the point, but some of it does happen where it is the, you know, where you can seize the national audience because because of you're doing something. They're, They're not people aren't tuning in just because you're playing them. They're tuning in because you're about to upset them. I'll say this, whether whether they move to the spring or not, I, I, I am a believer that an all-group-of-five playoff would make a lot of sense because, um, like, I could see that being something that... You watch those Maction games, there's nobody in the stands. And I don't think it's just because it's a frigid and it's a Tuesday night. I just don't think... But it also is a Tuesday those, night. Like, people have to work on Wednesday. Yeah. I just think that right now that product is not geared toward... That, that product is not set up to get huge fan engagement from your own fans. It's basically just a TV product to make money to keep funding it. So um, I definitely think if there was a big, if there was a prize at the end um, and, and, a, and a more, because um, right now they're all fighting for this one New Year's Six bowl spot and where it's completely up to the committee. And if you actually had a playoff where each of the champions from the group of five was in it, maybe one at large team or three at large teams, like I think that would be exciting for fans of a lot of those teams. However, I always envision that being in the fall so that those schools could still play uh, their, their, you know, early season power five games. You're, you're in your model in the spring, you're just removing those entirely. Right. Let me get your thoughts on this. Cause I got, like I said, I got a decent amount of feedback from this story. This email comes from Tim Schwartz. Uh, Love your G5 FCS in the spring idea. I have one more wrinkle to this. I was thinking big-time FBS programs in the spring should get two scrimmages before COVID, more now. They would schedule one FCS team and one big-time team. 
these schools could make tons of money for these two games, and that trickles down to the smaller schools. In the context of that, why not let the G5 FCS play two fall games as their spring football versus Power 5 teams, Stu? Does this sound familiar? Then you could, on the other side, have P5 teams schedule FCS G5 in the spring as two scrimmage-type games. Basically, another another to make money. If soccer programs can play Power Power 5 spring matches, why not? Why can't football do their own spring games against other schools? I like it. I do like that I one. I do like that one, um, too. I like that one a lot. Now, kind of what you were saying earlier about a, a fall spring season this year, you might have a completely different team in the spring than you would in the fall. That is true. I mean, there's no... Look, there, nothing is going to be seamless, I, I, I suspect, with any of this we're talking about, right? Uh, no. Um, you know, I mean, in my article about the spring model, there's a lot of caveats. Uh, you know, I think you would have to let early enrollees, if this ends up happening this year, let's go shifting back to, to something that might actually have to happen here soon. You know, I think early enrollees would have to be immediately eligible and would not burn a red shirt by playing four games. I think uh, if somebody does get injured and it causes them to miss at least half of the next season, then they should automatically get a medical red shirt. A lot of things that normally take, you know, 18 months to wind their way through the legislative process would have to get signed off on, you know, on, on very short notice. But hey, you know, we can be creative about this. So you got, you read an email. I want to read an email. Um, this comes to us from Jeff in Baton Rouge. And I have lost it. Here it is. Jeff in Baton Rouge. Dear Bruce and Stewart, I've read many quotes where, quote, CFB player safety is paramount. As I understand, players are regularly tested and their health closely monitored during this workout phase. If a season were played, this testing and monitoring would continue. However, if the season is canceled, I would assume players would be left on their own, i.e. no testing or monitoring. Furthermore, without games, players would be less concerned with distancing or taking steps to ensure they do not contract the virus. Could it be that players are actually safer having the structure and testing that a season would provide? I think this is a discussion worth having. I think he's right. So, I mean, all of this talk about canceling a season, it's all about what's what's safe. And, of course, we don't, we don't know. We've never been through this. We don't know what the standard is for safe. But your thoughts on his sentiment that they may actually be safer playing the season amidst a pandemic, amidst a surging pandemic than being kind of left on their own device. Well, I think the issue is, I think he's right to a certain degree. Now playing the season, if in, if you're having nine on seven drill and you go from having four positive tests on your team to 40, then obviously I don't think that is it, but I think there's a sliding scale to this. And it, uh, one of the stories I did last week, and it was the story we're ta- we talked about before about whether a spring season is viable uh, for a FBS, one of the coaches made a really interesting point, and he said what is not getting talked about enough is the mental health aspect of players, especially if there isn't a season at all in 2021. And here's what he said. Keeping these kids on structure is problematic. They're not pros. A lot of them are still learning what to do and when to do it. There are things, these are things colleges provide. They, they learn structure. We've already seen through the pandemic, it's been difficult for the ones that don't come from great school backgrounds and, or don't have great habits. That's part of the equation that nobody's talking about. So the idea, as, as this coach put it, is even if you're, hey, we're gonna prepare for a season in the, in the spring and keep them in as opposed to, hey, we gotta send you back home because we can't manage this or that the cases around us in this community or in the state are too high. That's how he was talking about how it, it is potentially problematic. So again, whether you can still go through some element of team, team building and, and training without it being the football stuff, I think is the hard part because you're just, you're just having everybody, you know, there's no social distancing. It's hard to manage that when it comes to football stuff. And I think that's the part that um, we, we're not going to know about until they get a little further down the road and actually try to do it if it comes to that. I, I That's a great and totally valid point and why I personally don't have a problem with them. You know, I think a lot of people are like, what are you waiting for? This is clearly not going to work. Just go ahead and announce it. 
I don't have a problem with them staying in a holding pattern for as long as they still think this is realistic for that very reason. I don't, I think the, the more structure you can offer, the more that they kind of stay inside this bubble, uh, the ben- more beneficial that is. Um, you know, there are, it's not as cut and dried as, well, there's all this money, you know, on the table. We got it. No, it's, it's, that is obviously a driving factor, but everything you just mentioned about mental health and player safety and, um, you know, if you, if you came out and said, we're canceling the season or we're, it's not going to be played for at least six months, you might have guys drop out of school. Um, absolutely agree with that sentiment. Now, is it like you said, I mean, if, if, if the choice is we're going to, we're going to do it for that reason, but it still could lead to massive outbreaks. I don't think you can sign off on that, but it look, they've, they've put a lot of thought into all the protocols. I mean, the NCAA put out that long document last week. It was clearly very well thought out. Um, like, I think they have a very good handle as much as you can without having ever been through this on the steps you would need to take to prevent outbreaks within your team. But like you said earlier, the, the thing that's freaking everybody out and rightfully so is what happens when all the students come back. Because so far, um, there's been no indication that 18 to 22-year-olds are willing to give up their social life uh, to, to prevent the spread of a virus that they all know is very, very low percentage that they're going to you know, die from. Although I hate when people reduce it to the only two outcomes are death or you're fine. Obviously, you can still get very sick from it. Um, so, you know, th- I mean, the numbers you're seeing now could spike even worse when tens of thousands of college students return to a campus in the fall. And then, of course, the college players are not in a bubble. They are interacting with those students. They might live with those students. So that's the part. It's just really hard to get a handle on um, how all that would work. And the other thing I would say, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, these decisions are not being made in a vacuum. Uh, even if you, you can put in all the protocols you want and feel like you've got a, this is going to be fairly safe and we've got all these doctors who sign off on it. Um, here, here, I'll give you an example. There was an article in the LA Times over the weekend. Um, right now in, in Orlando, in Florida, where it's such a hot spot, people are having to wait a week or longer to get their test results back. The, the, you know, the, the, all these labs are just totally overwhelmed. And yet baseball players and, and NBA players and MLS players are getting their results back, you know, same day or the next day. And we talk about testing all these college players every week. There's 130,000 FBS players. Like there's going to be an, an issue where it's just optics, that it's just a bad look that all these college athletes, asymptomatic college athletes are, are hogging all the tests and, and that it's going to cause, um, the general public to, you know, basically fall further back in the line. Yeah. I don't know what to say to any of that, to be honest, Stu. I I don't, I mean, you know, we're, we're in late July now, almost, I guess it's as we're taping this is July 20th. So it's pretty much late July and we're closer to what we think is a little more clarity, whether it means, do they rip the Band-Aid off and go do football stuff and then just see what the numbers are going to be? As you said, uh, if more, if regular students come back on campus, what does that mean to their numbers and to the to the overall health of the of the team and of their of the players and staff around it? Um, we don't know. I, I mean, that's that's we don't know exactly how all these things are going to affect it. I mean, and that's. That's, I think, part of the thing that's been so kind of exhausting for a lot of people as they're trying to trying to figure this out. I, don't, I honestly don't know what more there is to say on that part of it. I think what makes a lot of people uncomfortable is the idea that these unpaid college athletes are, are serving, could be serving as guinea pigs. And, and you know, the fact that they are, I mean, nobody, uh, like I said earlier, like nobody, you know, if, you, if they actually open training camp on time and they're full contact, like this is not baseball where players are spaced out. Um, full contact football practices in early August um, before the other ath- uh, students get back on campus. Like it basically is like they're becoming a test case for, hey, if this works with them, maybe we can make it work with the student body. So, look, we know the season's not going to start when it was originally scheduled to. That's just not realistic. So if they came out next week and said we're hitting pause for a month, we're not going to start training camp you know we'll see where the numbers are at a month from now and if it's looking good we'll we'll start it back up 
for one thing, that would at least give you a chance to be for the NFL to get their training camps going, assuming they work out these uh, um, issues the players are having, so that they're the guinea pigs, right? Like, let's see how a month of NFL training camp goes with professional athletes before we send college athletes out to do the same thing. And if it goes great, then it gives you confidence that you can make it work in college. And if NFL players are testing positive left and right, and God forbid guys start getting seriously sick, then that's probably your sign you need to uh, postpone this till at least the spring. Yeah, I, I again, I think it varies on, you know, we did that survey, the player survey, I guess it was you know, a month ago on The Athletic, maybe it was two months ago, and a lot of the players we spoke to said they want to play. They want to, you know, want to, want to give it a, you want to try. So... I don't know. I, I like. I, I almost feel like you know. You you can talk yourselves in circles about this one. Absolutely, the players want to play, um, but I think they're also trusting that the schools will will take all the right precautions and um, and and also I would say we did that player survey in late May when things were on the up and up with the testing number with the virus numbers and hadn't really affected, frankly, a lot of the parts of the country where major college football is played. So. The climate is a lot different now. Um, let's wrap on something that has nothing to do with the coronavirus. Probably a lot of people listening still are, thank God. Um, you have your annual, your, your staple piece. The, 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 when people talk about Bruce Feldman, this is the, the, the part of your brand. Tell us what is coming this week. Okay, so I'm doing the Freaks List. We've done it, I think, it's, a, not, it's coming up on 20 years. It's just crazy for me to think. So... I didn't think for a while we were going to be able to, to have one this year just because there really wasn't much of an offseason, and so there wasn't much of a window for strength and conditioning coaches to train their players and also, when I say test, now I have to qualify, like test them in vertical jump or three-cone or 40-yard or dash or you name it. So, But I've started reaching out to a lot of coaches at first, it was a lot of strength coaches. Then it was a lot of other coaches. And then it became a lot of NFL scouts and go through the process as I normally do. And we're going to unveil it this week. And, um, you know, one thing I love about working on it is there's a bunch of guys I find find out way more about that I didn't know much about or didn't know anything about. And there's some really cool stories on here. Are you still with? So I'm curious... How did the strength coaches know who to recommend to this year, given that the players were gone for three or four months and they weren't, you know, they weren't getting to test them and watch them work out regularly? Yeah, some of the guys either got their off-season testing already in, or it's there's a few cases, not a lot, but there's a few cases of guys. These are the numbers that that we tested them last season. I think this guy is about this or whatever. And the strength coaches know their players' bodies pretty well. So you will see there's a there's a handful of guys they're standing on their numbers like one of the players who's on there um I will give this away if it's not you know we'll, probably won't shock uh, Andy Bitter or anything but Caleb Farley who's a really tall 6'2 corner uh, at Virginia Tech who was an all ACC kind of player last year he was clocked on the GPS at 24.16 miles per hour which is crazy fast and as I said he's a 6-2 corner now he did not uh, he, he had back surgery after the season according to one of their coaches told me so he didn't have a chance really to boost any of those numbers but he's he's recovered so Caleb Farley is going to be on there um, without you know basically based off his numbers in season and his physical dimensions but there's a few other guys. Uh, I'm guessing you've never heard of Robert Rochelle, have you? Um, no. No. I'll be honest. I had never heard of Robert Rochelle so I t still I, until I started talking to some NFL scouts. Uh, people will learn a lot more about Robert Rochelle this week. Uh, one thing I've, I've found out that's happened, um, there's a handful of these guys who will not be able to play this season because... I got more FCS guys on there and there's a few FCS guys whose teams have shut down because their conferences have shut down. But um, I still wanted to give those guys a little bit of the spotlight. So uh, like I said, this is uh, there's some really cool stories in here. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this one this year. And one thing that's always been fun is a lot of these guys who have been in the top, either the number one spot or close to it, 
you know, people are like, those numbers are, I don't buy that. They're just made up. And it's like last year's number one guy, Tristan Wirfs, he more than backed up the hype at the combine. Like you see most of these guys, Saquon Barkley, Miles Garrett, Marcus Hunt. I mean, they, the numbers were crazy when you heard about them in our freaks list. And then a year later or two years later, depending on how young they were, they went to Indianapolis and blew it up. And in some cases, even Tristan Wirfs, you know, the numbers are even better there. So our number, our number one guy has done has some crazy change of direction. I talked to one of the coaches who works with him, said, I've never seen anybody like this. So um, a bunch of D linemen are well represented in the top five. I'll say that. Marcus Hunt is the one I always remember when he was, uh, I think he might've been number one, right? On your freaks list oh, yeah, that year. He was. And nobody had ever heard of him. And it sounded like made up. Like this guy is like a Paul Bunyan type uh just led you know made up mythical figure and then you know you're at that what you said is exactly what happened he went to the nfl combine and, and proved all of that and more so looking forward to that later this week on the athletic i probably don't promote this enough but if you are not subscribed yet the athletic.com slash the audible will get you a 30-day free trial and read bruce's story that way um so like we said earlier we expect next week to be decision day for fbs football in some some way or in some form or another so we will probably try to hold off doing next week's episode if we think some sort of announcement is coming we'll try to hold off long enough to react to that um in the meantime check out we spent most of this episode talking about articles that bruce and i wrote so please go to the athletic and check those out we'll see you next time enjoy the audible please subscribe on apple Podcasts, google play spotify wherever you get your podcasts leave us a review and a rating if you could too it helps us get the word out our producer is john hayes our theme song is dangerous by kevin and the octaves to download their music on spotify or apple music follow me on twitter at sl mandel follow bruce at bruce feldman cfb and if you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, what are you waiting for? You can get 40% off an annual subscription by using this link, theathletic.com slash theaudible. That's 40% off your subscription to The Athletic. Talk about it for years.